Um, also, a lot of my characters in, uh, particularly in my SAS and Steam series, um, have like technology. They have sort of biomechanics that are built into them. And so sometimes that can come into play. If somebody has a hand that's partially metal, then that will, you know, they'll be feeling things differently and their love interest will be feeling things differently in a sexy scene if they're touching with a metal hand or they're touching a, a metallic body part or something like that. So some of that also comes into play. Welcome to Steam Scenes, the podcast about... Wait, hold on. Sure, sex is, well, sexy, but it's also sassy and it's silly and it's fun. Hi, I'm El Greco and I write steamy romance. On my podcast, Steam Scenes, I'm joined by my fellow romance authors for some explosive, (laughs) see what I did there, conversations on writing all the naughty bits. Sit back, relax, and join us for some scintillating conversation on Steam Scenes. Award-winning author Catherine Stein joins us today for Steam Scenes. Catherine believes that everyone deserves love and that Happily Ever After has the power to help, to heal, and to comfort. She writes sassy, sass, 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 sassy, <laughs> hello, good morning, sassy, sexy romance set during the Victorian and Edwardian eras. Her eras, I always say that wrong, eras. Her, bu- her books are full of action, adventure, magic, and fantastic technologies. Catherine lives in Michigan with her husband and three rambunctious girls. She loves steampunk and Oxford commas and can often be found dressed in Renaissance festival clothing, drinking copious amounts of tea. Welcome, Catherine, to Steam Scenes. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. Oh my God, I'm thrilled to have you. So there is so much fun shit to talk about. And I say we just sort of like go for it. So I'm kind of curious. Um, how did you come to writing? Did you always know this was what you wanted to do? I did not always know. Um, I always wrote a lot, but I had this idea that like writing was miserable because of school. And I, like, mm. I didn't like to write the kinds of things we were told to write in school. Although anytime we had like a creative project, I loved it. Right. Um, but I sort of had this, oh, writing is boring. Um, but I was always making up stories in my head. Um, and one point in college... Um, my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, said to me during a time when I was just babbling this story, he's like, you should write that down. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I did. I just started writing this really long, complicated story that I had been dreaming up in my head. And it was really fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, And so then I just started doing more and more of it. I did some projects. I did a little bit of collaborative writing with a friend. And so I sort of had been writing. And then once my kids were all in full-time school, then I was like, okay, I want to get serious about this and actually, you know, write to publish. Wow. Okay. So I want to sort of backtrack to college for a second. What was your major? Art history. Okay, so now I'm kind because of, I love to sort of tie people's past into, you know, <laughs> into like what they're doing, you know, their present, and um, particularly with their writing. And so I'm guessing that pretty much informs the historical work that you've been that you write about. It does. I really like history things. Um, I like visual history because art history major. I like to look at photographs and maps and things like that. One of the reasons that I write in the periods that I do is because they have photographic evidence. And so it's not just, you're not relying just on words and art. 
you have like this extra medium and you can really see what the people looked like and what the buildings looked like. Yeah. Um, so I love to look at photographs. I love to look at art. I love to look at the real artifacts that exist from the time period. And those are the things that I like to research. And so that's what, that's where I go mainly when I'm looking for research for my books. So I'm kind of curious, like, where are your go-to, like, places to go, you know, for, like, the photos or the artifacts? Are you, uh, you know, because um, I know for me, like, I'm constantly on, like, real estate websites looking at houses because mm -hmm. architect, you know, how homes kind of always end up featuring prominently in my books, but it's contemporary, so it's easy to find. How, how do you dig this stuff up? Um. A lot of museums have really great stuff if you're looking for artifacts, so if you're looking for clothing, or if you're looking for pieces of artwork from the time, um, dishes, things that would be left over from that time period. The Met Museum in particular has a fantastic, all their, all their stuff is there, so they have such a fantastic resource. Um, so I just look at a lot of pictures like that. Okay. Um, for books, if you just do Google Books searches, you can find a lot of old works from the time period because they're all out of copyright. They're just up there. Um, also, archive.org has lots of just old books, and you can go and read through the old books. For what did people actually write at the time? Uh, there's also, I like to look for newspapers because okay. um, those have fun articles and stuff. Sometimes I just Google. I just... Right. Google for whatever I'm looking for and then do an image search. And then from there, I like find, I look for images and I click on the image and go to whatever site the image came from. And I sort of dial down that way. Gotcha. So you kind of end up doing like that Google rabbit hole. Yep, exactly. <laughs> I love Google rabbit holes because then once you find one, it'll lead to something else and it'll lead to something else. And you could find some really interesting websites that way. This is super fascinating to me because I'm kind of wondering when you talk about like you're reading the books from the period and going into like the newspaper articles from the period, is this also how you're able to establish the voice? Because the way that they were speaking 100 years ago, uh, well, at this point, what are we like 150 years ago? Mm -hmm. um, you know, that, it was very different from the from our cadence of speech right now. Yeah, definitely. Um if you re read the newspaper articles from that time period, they have a very sort of distinctive pattern. Same thing if you take a book, like if you pick up uh, a Jules Verne book, or if you pick up a Jane Austen or Charles Dickens or anybody who was writing in the 19th century, there's like these certain kind of speech patterns that are very formal. Mm -hmm. I try to kind of hit a medium road yeah. between that and what we read, because if it's if you write it like Charles Dickens, it's not it's not going to be comfortable for a modern audience to read. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to be super modern because then that takes you out of the story. So I kind of try to strike a bit of a balance. Right. Um, my series that takes place in 1880s Europe is a little bit more towards the historical side. And then my um, other series, which is a lot of it takes place in America in the mm -hmm. early 1900s. That one I made deliberately a little more modern in their speech patterns, um, just to sort of differentiate that like kind of more casual Americanness and a little bit more modern setting. It's super fascinating because yeah, you kind of have to find that balance between staying kind of true to the period, but also realize that modern readers are not gonna necessarily have the patience for it. Right. 
Um, you know, and so finding that balance. And I'm kind of curious, is that the same with with writing the steamy bits through this? Because I know that there's um Victorian porn. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, like I've a read big... a lot of it. Oh, <laughs> that's more, I of might the, need... <laughs> more of the research that I've done. <laughs> I might need <laughs> I might need a laundry, a library list from you because <laughs> I, I find it so fascinating. So, is there it, again? Is that sort of like how, how does that influence your writing, particularly with the steamy bits? That is a really great resource for words that they used at the time. Um, I love to pull in odd slang words that they Ooh, do used. you have a favorite um i mean from sexy scenes i like the word quim i think Ooh. it's very pretty and also sexy oh what does that mean the quim is like pussy or vagina oh i like that <laughs> i think we need to word. bring that back and there's also <laughs> there's there there are penis words that sort of go with it it can be a quim stick or a quim steak and i oh, have, used have delightful both of those. <laughs> oh my god so those are kind of fun words. And sometimes it's really just odd, slangy terms. There is a um, Jonathan Green has the Green's Dictionary of Slang, which has all of these historical slang terms for going back hundreds of years that you can look up. Um, and associated with that, he has a, t- a slang timeline. It's called the Timelines of Slang. And it's uh, divided up into these various slang terms for various sex things, for various money things. Um, Let's see, what else? Insults, stuff like that. And so you can go and you can click on these timelines and (laughs) go back to close to your time period and see what really strange terms people actually used in written historical documents that we have. So sometimes I go in there to find funny words. God bless historians. I just find this completely fascinating. This is so cool. I could, you must spend, I could, I would probably lose days in this thing, (laughs) just diving in. (laughs) Okay. So we've got the historical bits, but what, what was it about romance that drew you? Like, when did you start writing romance? Was that the first thing you wrote? You said that you had written the story that your now husband encouraged you to write. Was it romance? Um, It was not, it was fantasy, but it had a very heavy romance arc in it. Okay. Um, and then sort of the other stuff I dabbled with, it was always, it always tended to be like fantasy, but they, I always like kind of glommed on to these romance arcs. Okay. And when I started writing the book that eventually became uh, How to Seduce a Spy, I had my heroine. Um, she was based on a painting going back to the art. Um, mm-hmm. And I had her and I was like, she's this strong, independent woman and whatever. She doesn't necessarily need a romance arc. But when I put her in the room with the character who became the hero, their chemistry was so good that I was just like, this has to be a romance. Like, forget it. I'm just going to go all out. I'm going to make this a romance. (laughs) So are you a pantser or a plotter then? I am completely a pantser. Yes! (laughs) Yes, very much a pantser. I start off with the characters. So I have the characters like very sort of fixated in my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, And the whole plot is then character driven. Okay. Because I just go from there and I have this idea of like, okay, here's the situation they're in. Here's what they want. Let's see what they do. And that's kind of how my books just come out. That's awesome. 
kind of love that. So, do, so going into this, then you have you have no expectations. Okay, there are going to be four sex scenes, or we're going to have the like. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm kind of curious how you end up following the conventions if you do at all. Maybe you don't. Um, I do not consciously go out of my way to follow the conventions. Um, I've just I've read a lot of books <laughs> starting when I was very, very small. I started reading when I was about two years old. So I've read a lot, a lot of books and I just kind of feel it out. So I'm like, yeah. OK, we're getting to the point where they're going to need to kiss soon. Um, and of course, it varies from book to book and couple to couple. Um, but I always kind of have that sense of, OK, we're getting to what needs to be the next beat. We're getting to what needs to be the next like conflict. Right. Um, so I just kind of feel the story out that way. Okay. All right. That's really, that's really cool. So I'm kind of curious since you did, you read a lot from a young age. Do you remember your first romance book? Which one you read? I do not remember which one in particular was that's the first cool. one. My friends handed me a stack of Amanda Quick novels. Ah. It was like three or four of them. And we're like, here, you need to read these. And I read one and then I was like, I need them all. And so I just devoured them. <laughs> what what grabbed you about them? What did you enjoy? Um, I liked the historical setting because I always was kind of a history nerd. Like I read a lot of historical fiction um, and things already. So I liked the historical setting. I liked the heroines that she had. They tended to be like these quirky wallflower types and mm. that's what I was. And I really, really responded to that. I'm like, yeah, it's the nerdy girl. And she's going out and getting this guy. And she's like solving all the problems and solving a mystery and doing all the adventure kind of things that happen in those books. Um, so I really right. resonated with that. Oh, that's really cool. So you, you were, okay. So not only do you write historical, you also write steampunk. And so you're still, you're still, you know, your first books were fantasy. You're still yep. drawing in, drawing on those fantasy elements. Um, I think that's really amazing that you are combining historical plus the steampunk elements, plus the romance elements. And I am kind of in awe of that. Like I, I can't imagine having all of those threads and trying to keep them woven together. And so um, how did, for, I guess my first question is how did you end up in steampunk? I don't know how I really got interested in steampunk. It must have come out of like going to Renaissance festivals and like also some of the stuff that I was reading. Um, but I just started like making a steampunk Halloween costume and just sort of doing a little steampunk things. And so as I was doing that, I got more interested in reading more steampunk books and in writing more steampunky things. Um, and it just sort of, I sort of fell into it because it fit with all of the things that I liked. Right. It had the history. It had the kind of fantasy. It had the dress up elements and just kind of the fun, quirky genre that really fit my personal style. So does having the addition of the steampunk, does that change the dynamic of your steamy scenes? That's kind of what I'm really curious about because steampunk is dealing with sort of I guess, futuristic inventions and, and again, the fantastical. So I'm very curious how it informs the actual romance bits of the, of the story. Well, one of the versa. things it does is that because it's steampunk, I can push the sort of 
rule breaking characters um, a little bit further than in a plain historical. Like I get less pushback on that because, of course, there were rule breaking people and you can write them into any historical. But sometimes you get uh, readers like being like, well, this is not realistic. And I can sort of push that a little bit more with the steampunk. So I have a little bit more flexibility where I can pull out. I have a pirate heroine or, you know, things like that, where it's this woman in an unconventional role because I can make my world kind of fit that a little bit better. Gotcha. Um, so it's a little bit easier to fit in the sort of more forward heroines. Okay. Um, and also I can do a lot of fun locations and things like that. I have like laboratories and I have, um, I'm writing right now a submarine book. Um, I do a lot of trains, airships, hot air balloons. Um, I can incorporate all these kind of steampunky things and have different settings for where the characters end up together. That's and really cool. Those are fun. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> um, also, a lot of my characters in a particularly in my SAS and Steam series um, have like technology they have sort of biomechanics that are built into them and so sometimes that can come into play if somebody has a hand that's partially metal then that will you know they'll be feeling things differently and their love interest will be feeling things differently in a sexy scene if they're touching with a metal hand or they're touching a, a metallic body part or something like that so some of that also comes into play See, that's really fascinating because it does hold that sort of element of maybe um, sort of a shifter romance where there might be a partial transformation into some sort of a beast, like, you know, or or there might be a different sensation because they are shifters. Like, it sort of feels like that might be a similar, you know, along a similar line. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, I don't read a ton of shifters and most of the ones, I don't know if I've read, I, I know I've read one where the shifters are like partially shifted, but not for a very long time. Yeah. Um, but there is the uh, sort of, it gives a sort of sensory, um, like a sensory feeling or a, a sensory thing you can play with that doesn't necessarily happen between completely human couples. Yeah, which is really cool. So, okay, so you talked about Ren Fairs, and I saw online you have a lot of costumes, and, you, and you're not afraid to wear them, and they're great. Thank you. And I'm wondering, are those, um, are, is the, are those sort of like, you know, the four entertainment only purposes costumes, or are those actually true period pieces that you've collected over time? Most of them are just modern costume pieces, but I have a couple of actual real period pieces Amazing. that I can mix in. I have to be careful with them because I'm afraid of damaging them. So I always uh, I wear them sort of minimally, but I do have some actual real pieces. Because again, you're sort of, when you're writing in, in historicals, your costuming choices for your characters does need to hew very closely to what people would have worn back then and so I'm always very fascinated by by just that element because I think it, it it again like there's a lot more research there and it does complicate things it is I like playing with the outfits that they wear um since it's steampunk I can sort of tweak it and right. so sometimes they're not wearing things that are like historically accurate to that era um and then sometimes they are and I can have different 
you know, sexy bits where they have different outfits that they're taking off because of what they're wearing. And so I can have the heroine who is wearing every single layer all the way down if I want to. Or I can have her in like just a top with a corset over the top of it and a little floofy skirt. Um, so I can play around with that a lot. And I like to look at um, advertisements and photos and um, oh, what are those things called? The, the fashion plates. And I like to look at all of those things and get uh, sort of costume and character ideas from those. That's really cool. Cause again, I've always, I'd always be like petrified that I would get it screwed up, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, you know, cause even just studying it, like I imagine it's gotta be something very different to actually tactically feel it or see it or feel how the buttons like snap or unsnap or, mm -hmm. or, you know, go in or out easily or not easily. Yeah. I have um, American Duchess shoes, uh, which are like replicas, very excellent replicas of what, what the real shoes from the period would have been and the buttons can be very tight and you have to be you have to like use a button hook to get your boots on and off um, oh, so having worn those is fun because I can know how it feels to use a button hook and how to you know do their do their button up shoes yeah yeah and I imagine probably a lot of people are leaving the shoes on when they're doing the deed Mm -hmm. <laughs> just yeah. because it's a little bit easier that way unless you can't get out of your clothes because they're <laughs> Yes, because I've definitely had scenes fat. where the characters do not take off their shoes. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. <laughs> so, um, so I'm curious to you, what what makes historicals, and in particular steampunk punk historicals, sexy? Um, I think part of the time period being just a little bit of a fantastical element. Mm -hmm. um, it's something different than what we're seeing every day. And I think just that little bit of, of separation from the real world is in itself a little bit sexy. I also think that because um, a lot of historicals are written in time periods and places where there were very strict rules, you get that kind of forbidden love rule-breaking aspect. Mm -hmm. um, like, oh no, if I am in the room alone with him, I'm going to be compromised. Um, and so there's this sort of sense of danger or forbidden pleasure. Um, and I think that is a really fun part of historicals. Um, steampunk just ups the fantasy element. It lets you kind of do whatever you want. Um, I feel like it also is like it's steampunk is made for breaking the rules. So when you have steampunk, you can have characters that fit really well into your world when they're the outsiders. Mm -hmm. And I always find the outsider, you know, people who don't fit in bit attractive. I, I also think, I don't know. I think that the outfits, like the steampunk outfits, I just find them so sexy. You can make really sexy outfits with steampunk. You can do because a lot of fun things. And, and, and you're mostly covered. You know, yes. that's, that's, the, that's sort of the amazing thing about it is that even though there's nothing showing, you know, sometimes not even an ankle, you, they're still unbelievably sexy. Yeah, you can definitely have a lot of fun with the outfits. Um, my next book that's going to be coming out, the heroine um, wears these shirts and dresses that button all the way up to her neck and cover her, her sleeves all the way down to her wrists. Um, and that's her sort of standard outfit, but she still is able to like 
be a sexy badass when she walks into the room and the hero like notices the way that she's you know having these outfits kind of shaped to her even while they're hiding everything and so that's one of the fun things you can do with the steampunk outfits is you can make them whatever you want um you can also make them really low cut and sort of saloon girl looking um so there's a lot of options for how you do sexy outfits yeah it's very very cool and there is something when you throw in like those sort of more mechanical elements that sometimes come into that gives it I don't know maybe it's like that sort of um yin and yang of like soft silky fabric against hard industrial metal you Mm -hmm. know that just is sort of such a turn on but I just find them so sexy I like that contrast too I like yeah everything is like very like industrial and very metallic but then you also can have silks and velvets and things like that yeah, it's really, it's the, it's sort of the lush against the harder, you know, industrial stuff. It's really cool. It's just such an awesome, um, awesome element. I'm, I super wish I could write in it, but I'm just, I just it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I get overwhelmed writing contemporary scenes. I'm just like, yeah, no, you leave that to the professionals. <laughs> I also should mention that I like to have a lot of color in my steampunk outfits. A lot of the steampunk that you see, yeah. if you just Google for it, tends to frequently be browns, grays, blacks. Um, Mm -hmm. But when I write my characters, I like to have a lot of color. So I have like reds and blues and purples and greens. And I like to sort of play with that side of it so that people know steampunk doesn't have to just be brown. What is it about the colors? Like why, uh, you know, apart from, you know, it doesn't just have to be brown. Like what is it that that it's, is there a sensuality that you're sort of like building through color as well? Um, I think so. I think the colors can be very sexy. Um, if you have a really vibrant color, it like draws your eye. Um, mm-hmm. So when the character walks into the room, people are going to look at them because they're wearing bright red or bright blue. Um, I also like to have the colors be sort of part of the character's personality. Um, so I have a particular character who loves red and she wears red all the time. Um, I have a particular character who wears a lot of purple because her name is Violet and she sort of (laughs) likes that purple side of herself. Um, So sometimes I use the color just as like a person's particular sort of favorite look. That's really cool because, you know, we hear about, you know... um... It was like using your senses when you're writing, using, you know, and what th- what it smells like, what it feels like. But I think that color is something that is completely overlooked, um, you know, apart from like the sunset or something like that. But I do think that there is something, you know, very that could be very sexy or at least, you know, a sort of signifier for something really sexy through working with color, which I think is a really important point. Yeah, I like to describe the clothes. So I think that works really well for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so in terms of like, because with with any fantasy and particularly with steampunk, you're doing a lot of world building. And so is that also, does that work to enhance the steamy scenes? Or do you think that it just, you you need to build the world and and then you have the steamy scenes in it and one doesn't really inform the other? Uh, I think your world building is going to inform everything in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is definitely going to inform the steamy scenes in some ways because it's just, it's part of who the characters are. Like, they fit into this world. And so 
they're constantly interacting with it and what they do in their real life is going to be based on how their world is. Um, So my potions and passions series, um, which kind of leans more um, gas lamp fantasy than steampunk, it's technology that is all driven by magic potions. So in that series, they have things like stamina potions where they can drink a potion and that will let them go for a longer time and things like this um, that then can be used. And of course they're going to use them because they are a part of their world. And so they're there and they're not just going to be like in the background. It's going to come into all other aspects of their lives. Gas lamp fantasy? I've never even heard that Gas lamp fantasy. It just means Victorian settings that are sort of magical. So rather than the sci-fi kind of aspect of steampunk where it's very technology and we're building things um it's more of magical side oh that's really cool i had no idea that this existed and now i'm gonna have to go there as well which series is of yours does that <laughs> potions and passions potions and passions thank you i'm gonna go grab some of those when we're done talking <laughs> amazing okay So um, I do want to point out uh, and sort of jump into this conversation really quickly about, um, I was looking over, obviously I was looking through your catalog and one of the reviews on your book, Shot to the Heart, called it subtly feminist. Mm -hmm. And I kind of, that really struck me. And I think that romance books, romance books in particular, um, kind of get a bad rap. They're always looked at as um, not feminist at all. Um, you know, I, I can get taken to task once in a while for the quote unquote, you know, uh, pr- what is the, the, the Cinderella fantasy or the princess fan- mm-hmm. fantasy. And, and, um, and that rankles me. Right. Because I think I think out of all the books, uh, you know, out of all the literary genres out there, I feel like romance is probably one of the most feminist. And I would love to have this conversation with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, not all romances are going to be feminist because it's a huge genre and there's going to be people, you know, doing everything. But I think a lot of them are. Yeah. Um, and I think just the whole idea of romance tends to lean feminist. Because you have so many women out there in these books um, and sometimes other marginalized identities that are like in a world of cishet men, they, you know, can't always get what they want or they have to struggle to get what they want in the real world. And in romance, that doesn't have to be the case. They are going to win because there's always going to be that happy ending. And since there has to be that happy ending, they can get someone who appreciates them the way they are. They can get their dreams and a lover. They can sort of get everything. And it's it's in a world where frequently you kind of get this sense that women are being told to choose. Like, do you want a career or do you want a family? In romance, you can have everything. And we know that the heroine is going to end up with her satisfied life at the end. Um, And I think that whole aspect of it can be extremely feminist. Obviously, a lot of writers are writing to be deliberately feminist. Um, Sarah McLean is very deliberately feminist. Uh, Maya Rodale. um, You mentioned the 
the princess thing Mm -hmm. um and i think Alyssa cole's Mm -hmm. royals book are a fabulous example of taking what people claim can't possibly be feminist and doing it in a feminist way all of her heroines have their own identities they have their own life they have their own goal and yet they still manage to find love in these royal situations and still hang on to who they are and what they want um and so i think there's a lot out there that is like really strongly feminist and showing women getting everything and they they don't have to settle yeah, I think the knee-jerk response to that sort of like, well, romance isn't feminist, is that the women do have their happily ever after. And I think that, you know, in, in a way, it's sort of like, oh, my God, there must be something really subversive about that then. <laughs> you know? Based on the number of people who come and say, but does romance really have to have a happy ending? That right there just tells you that the happy ending is subversive. Right. If so many people push against it, you you know that there's something that's meaningful about it. I, I mean, and what does it say to us as a culture that having, like, being able to have this hap- happy ending is a subversive thing? Yeah, it's kind of it's unfortunate. And I try, I'm trying to, like, in my writing, do what I can to be like, hey, this is what it should be. This is how... A relationship should be this is what you should expect out of you know your life with your friends and your lover and your career you don't have to pick and choose you can be who you are you can have your goals um and find people who appreciate you for who you are um right. so that's how i try to write all my stories i have a lot of characters who start off thinking they're weird um and then are kind of surprised when somebody's like but I like you this way. Um, so that's something that I enjoy exploring in my stories. Yeah, I think that that's awesome. Okay, so I would love to dig into your intimate scene, which is from A Shot to the Heart. Which series is this from? This is from the Sass and Steam series. Okay, how many series do you have? You have a lot. I have <laughs> two main series. Okay. Uh, Assassin's Steam and Potions and Passions. And then I have a third series, um, which is just a historical. Um, Scoundrels New Con is the first one. And I am mm-hmm. going to be having the second book of that coming out at the end of this year. So how come you decided to how come you decided to go strictly historical on that? Um, I had some writer friends who were wanted to do a collaborative world project where they were all fairy tale retellings and said hey do you Um, want to write a fairy tale retelling and I said sure that sounds fun Um, and so I wrote it and I enjoyed it and it still has a lot of the same elements as the steampunk ones do it just doesn't have that strict fantasy it has Victorian spiritualism and a little bit of you know Victorian gothic vibe gotcha Um, so it's still got a little bit of that fantastical sense and it's still got a lot of the same kind of intrigue and mystery um that you find in the other series but that one is strictly victorian can i ask what fairy tale you're retelling or is that a surprise no that way it was it's based on the emperor's new clothes which is why it's the scoundrel's new con i sort of made the title kind of based on that um it is not necessarily a retelling because 
the story of the emperor's new clothes is about half a page of description. <laughs> um, so it's really more of a loosely inspired by. Gotcha. <laughs> but if you if you're familiar with the story, then you can find like all the all the little elements throughout the story that I kind of pulled from. That's really cool. I really love next, that idea. The next one in the series is going to be Rumpelstiltskin inspired. Oh, so is that series out now? The first one is out now. Okay. Founders New Con is available. That's um, awesome. Love it. Okay, so okay, so a shot to the heart. Tell me, uh, tell us about this. Set up the scene for us. Okay. The reason I picked this one ultimately um, is because this is my friends to lovers book. Okay. Um, I really love the friends to lovers trope. Me and my husband are a friends to lovers couple. We were friends for uh-huh. several years. Um, in high school and did not start dating until college. Uh, So that's just sort of a favorite trope of mine. And in this particular scene, they're very playful and teasing with each other. Mm. Um, And you can sort of see the element of their friendship in the scene, which I really like. That's part of why I picked it. And then the other reason I picked it was because I liked um, the heroes. It's in the hero's point of view. And I like his kind of reactions to the whole situation of finally getting to have an intimate moment with her because he's been in love with her for years and years or not years and years because I guess they've known each other a couple of years but he's been in love with her for a long time and this is sort of all his fantasies come true and so he's kind of got this mixture of okay I know what I'm doing I'm in control here and also this emotional first timey vibe where he's sort of like nervous and not sure if it's going to go the right way um, and I liked his the way he feels um, sort of during during the scene. So in terms of their background, it's um, it's Adam and Cora. And were they like they had a, a, a written correspondence before they met? Is that correct? Yes. How their friendship grew? OK, they, um, Cora had an arm injury and she used a, an invention of Adam's to rehab her arm because she's an athlete and she needed the full use of her arm uh, to do her her athletic work. Um, And because she had such good results with this machine, she sent him a letter saying, thank you. I love your machine. I think it's, you know, great. And you've been very helpful to me. And he wrote back and that started a whole correspondence. And so then for about a year, they just corresponded back and forth and became closer and closer friends um, through letters. And now they have met up at the 1904 World's Fair, where he was there to present his inventions, and she was there as an athlete to compete in the Olympic Games, which are happening in the same location. So I'm, I'm curious, so did you start, this starts then when they meet at the World's Fair for the first time, or at the World's Fair, or, does, or do you give them that, or do you show more of the backstory? Uh, the prologue of- has a little bit of their correspondence. It's okay. a few pieces back and forth to show what's happening. And then at the beginning of every chapter throughout the rest of the book, we get a small snippet of their letters. So you okay. get to see a little bit more of their correspondence cool. throughout and- the whole book. And I'm assuming through the correspondence, too, you can see their flirtation developing mm-hmm. along yes. with the story. That's so cool. Okay, this was so hard for me to pick something out of this scene because so much of it was, like, super steamy. And I loved it. So <laughs> I'm really glad to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So they are where we pick up. They're in, I guess, uh, her hotel room. Yes. 
Okay. And I think he, they've just... He has lost his job because there was a commotion at the exhibit where he was supposed to be exhibiting. And okay. his boss got mad and he's been fired. And so he has had to leave his accommodations from work. And so now he's joined her in her hotel room. Got it. Okay, cool. And um, for some reason, they have cake. Yes. <laughs> they are coming home from their, their home after having had a dinner together. And they've brought he's, dessert. He's decided he wants to woo her properly and that he's going to move on from being friends into something more intimate. Um, and so he's taken her out to dinner and they brought home their desserts with them. This is uh, so this is the beginning of the woo, which is great. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. So um so there's just this little bit that I thought was so steamy here and it was um let's see, have they even uh sort of they just came back sitting down talking having this conversation about they have these three pieces of cake between them they don't have a knife they don't have a you know it's going to be messy right and um and so he now we're gonna go into this here he'd already picked up on so many things about her like the big freckle on the left side of her nose or her purposeful strides that could almost match his habitually rapid pace the way her body became absolutely still when she focused the way it melted against him when he kissed her. Just this little moment mm -hmm. so made me sigh and so made me go, oh, and just all of these like sort of things that he kind of picked out about her, all of these things that her quirks that he loved, right? Mm -hmm. um, it just really started, it kind of settled me into this scene to be like, yeah, okay, I'm ready for this. I love hearing that. That's wonderful. Yeah, I just, I wanted him, he is so attuned to her that he keeps fixating on her to the sort of detriment, possibly, of everything else around him. Um, so he's just like, really, this is her. It's real. I'm close to her. I can see her. Um, because he loved her without even knowing what she looked like, um, without knowing a lot of things about her. Um, just from the personality that he had gotten through their correspondence. And so now that he is actually in her presence, um, I really wanted to show all of the ways that he's sensing her. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really great because I just sort of loved that it was, I mean, you know, I don't want to say laundry list because it, it sounds terrible to say that, but it really kind of is of all the things that he loves about her. And it was just that thing that sort of really touched my heart and made me root for him to kind of win her over. That's wonderful. He is a really great guy. I loved writing him. He's a very <laughs> beta hero. He gets yes. a little more, he gets a little more alpha in the sheets where he's kind of like, I know what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> but he's very much like, this is my lady. I'm just going to back her up and love her for who she is. And I'm just going to be her supporter. I'm her number one cheerleader. I love um, the beta heroes. I do too. They're the best. I think they're giving, given short shrift to I the agree. alphas because there is nothing like a beta hero who, you know, has your, has the woman's back, um, you know, but at the same time is also willing to just let her go off and do her thing. Yeah. I think there's this, idea that people get sometimes that beta hero means weak mm. um, and it doesn't it just means that they do things differently they sort of you know sit back and play the support role which is 
vitally important um, and they don't necessarily you know push things and there's a lot of of really heroic things that they can do without having to be the one that's striding into battle and being like, I will protect you. They can protect you in different ways. They can protect you emotionally. Um, They can be like, do you need my protection right now? And then I will jump in front of you. Um, So I like like to be able to show sort of different ways of being heroic. Yeah, it's like they they let the heroine take they let the heroine take control. And I think that that is, and again, sort of like touching back to like the feminist aspects of romance. I do think that that is one way that, um, you know, or maybe it's not even control, but there is like a true partnership between the two, the two couples rather than I'm taking charge and I'm the man and I'm the protector. You know, it actually becomes a partnership between the two of them. Exactly. I love when a romance couple can have a very like solid partnership where they're working together and each of them has their own strengths and they know what the other person's strength is and let them sort of take the lead when they are applicable and then when it's something different like oh that's my skill set i'll go and do that right and i like when they can do that working together to accomplish things yeah it's like it's my i remember the first um the first romance I wrote um, for a very small ebook publisher, and it was one of those where they they tell you know I was told um, what the you know okay this is going to be a taboo age gap blah 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 and this is how we want it to start and um, and I was like uh, you know the opening scene is this and I was like okay go off and write it and I had in one moment in one scene the heroine kind of like stepping up and punching somebody out. Right. You know, because that was, and, and, and the editor came back and was like, no, 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 you, you can't have that. He's like, the guy, you, your hero has to do that. And I was like, but she's the feisty one. Mm-hmm. She's the one that's going to turn around and punch somebody in the face, not him. You know, <laughs> it was like, and it just felt so untrue to their characters, you know, and I guess I was supposed to alpha him up or something. I didn't last long. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then last long with them. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah. And I just was so, I was so like, well, why can't she? Cause that's kind of like who she is and she's exactly. a tough cookie, you know? Um, but, but it, it just didn't, they didn't like that. So. <laughs> and I All also right. like, I also like in the sexy scenes when they can take turns and, you know, one can be in charge here and one can be in charge there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that is also, um, I don't know, I feel like that's, that's, well, I guess it sort of like, you know, results may vary, like your experiences are going to be different. But I do feel like even in the bedroom for most people, there is definitely a push and a pull. Um, You know, there isn't always one person that is constantly dominating that role. But again, I think and I think that's a fun thing that we should show in romance is that you know, obviously certain, depending on your particular partnership, one or the other partner may want to take a more dominant role, but each one of them is going to bring something. Right. 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 And there isn't just, there, there is not a passive participant in the bedroom. Like everybody needs to be, everybody is active. Everybody should be active. Yeah. 
yeah, everybody has agency in, yes. their, in their bedroom role. That's the word. <laughs> okay, I'm going to keep going because we're about to eat some cheesecake. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he picked up the slice of cheesecake and lifted it to her lips. Have a bite. She did, chewing slowly before licking her lips. Every nerve in Adam's body jolted awake. Delicious. She picked up the hazelnut tort. You try this one. Adam sampled a small bite of the rich chocolate cake, letting it linger on his tongue, watching Cora's mouth the entire time. Her lips were fractionally apart, and she stared at him as he ate. Was she thinking about kissing him? Because he was absolutely thinking about kissing her. How was it? she asked. Almost perfect. Almost, her nose scrunched as she frowned at him. She set down the slice of cake. Smears of chocolate hazelnut cream coated her fingers. Adam's hand shot out to catch her wrist before she could lick the icing away herself. Already he was losing control, and already he didn't care. He raised her hand to his mouth. This bite will be perfect, he murmured. He was right. The chocolate on her fingers tasted divine. Her sharp gasp of breath as he stroked his tongue across her skin set his blood to boiling. Mm, yes, perfect. He released her hand and rose from his seat, dragging the desk away from the bed. But I think I'm done with de- I, I think I'm done with dessert for now. Just a taste. Just a taste of cake. Just a taste of Cora. Cora stared up at him, scooting to the very edge of the bed. Her nightgown caught beneath her, sliding up her calves as she moved. But what if I'm not done? The breathy quality of her voice spurred him on. He scooped up a glob of chocolate with one finger. Try this. Adam walked to her side and pressed the finger to her lips. Her tongue snaked out, probing. Then she wrapped her lips around his finger and sucked every drop of cake away. Lord, what a mouth. He wanted it all over his body. Okay. This was super sexy. Thank you. They haven't even done anything yet. Yeah. <laughs> just eating dessert. It's just dessert. And, um, oh, my God. It, it was so... I think I think what did it, and, and I could be wrong here, but I think what did it was... Um, the details um, and sort of like really kind of narrowing in on certain things, the smear of the chocolate on the, on the hands or on the fingers, you know, that sort of thing. Um, anyway, I'd love you, for you to tell me about this scene. Um, do you remember what made you sort of conjure it? What it was about the, the food? Was it the food? You know, like what, what brought this about? Um, I wanted it to be kind of fun and playful to get them into the mood um again going back to that sort of friends to lovers thing they they have fun with each other and so i wanted to start out the scene in a way that was just having fun and then morphing into sexy um so they started out with "Uh uh-oh we have food but how are we going to eat it and i mean feeding each other bites of food is always it just conjures up that idea of Ooh, something sexy is going to happen. Like at a wedding, you feed each other bites of your wedding cake. Um, so I had that sort mm. of sense that, okay, if, we, if they feed each other food, that's going to lead to other things. Um, and I just kind of went with it. And they started off by, by teasing each other. Um, and then as they actually start feeling the sensations of, whoa, this is something delicious, stimulating my senses, but also the taste of this person is stimulating my senses that leads directly into I want to taste more of you yeah that's yeah it was I mean this was just like oh wow you know it was sort of like as I started reading this I was like okay this could either turn into a food fight 
or it could turn into something incredible. And, 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 you know, I mean, I'm sorry. I honestly, I would have probably done the food fight. <laughs> that could be really fun too. But and- that could be super sexy too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm I just certainly not, I'm certainly not uh, ruling out the idea of having food fights in my books. Yeah. I, I like quirky things like that. And, but there was just, but, you know, it, it was just those, the whole sort of description of the cakes and feeding each other. It was absolutely so sensual and it was really, really sexy. And again, like they haven't even done anything. Thanks. I really love that it like is coming across like that because I'm always never sure, like, is this going to be sexy to other people? And it's super gratifying when you read it and you're like, oh, that really, it really worked. So I'm super no, glad it, it worked for you. It is sexy. And you know, it's so funny because some, um, I was, I did, uh, I had one scene that was like literally five pages of foreplay that somebody okay. gave to me. And I was like, this is amazing. So, you know, or I've, I've talked to authors who close the door, right. you know, and they don't actually have sex in their books, but everything leading up to the moment where they close the door is still very, very steamy. And I think yeah. that the assumption is that for there to be steam, there must be sex, there must be a penis, there must be boobs, there must be all of these things. Right. And that's not necessarily the case. You can have something very sensual and very sexy um, and super like, oh my God, I'm a little warm here, I'm, you know, moments in writing that have absolutely nothing to do with the bedroom door being open. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree. Um, some of the fun is like, how do they get there right Um, sometimes the actual I tend to write fairly short parts when we actually get into the open door sections Mm -hmm. Um, I know some people have it go on and on and on in their books and mine tend to be fairly compact Um, right but I do like I like to have the lead up of like how did they get into the bedroom Um, and so that's kind of what I was just doing here with the cake is getting them into the mood yeah. Yeah. And it, and it's, and it definitely gets the reader into the mood too. It's, it's, it's almost like, you know, it's in service to the book and the character, but it's also prepping the reader, I think, to a certain degree of like, yeah, okay, this is going to, this is going to go where we want it to go, you know? Yes. Cause if it'd be, it would be kind of awkward if just boom, suddenly there's sexy times. Surprise right. sexy times. <laughs> um, and that would be a little strange. And I, I don't know. It would might be kind of an interesting read, but I think it works best, um, at least for me as a reader, when I get the sense that they're looking at each other. And sometimes it's a glance and their eyes meeting. Sometimes it's a hands touching. But there's something where you start to feel that this couple is ready to go at it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, um, I thought that was so well done. Okay. One more a little bit. Here we go. Now, now we're going to get into it. (laughs) (laughs) Adam kissed his way along her thigh, sliding a second finger into her. Um, She lifted her hips to take him deeper. God, she was lusty. Her arousal made him ravenous with desire. For a long time now, he'd he'd had only himself and his imaginings of doing these very things to her. Now he was living the dream and he wanted to savor every second of it. His tongue circled her clitoris drawing a blissful moan from her. He repeated the movement, pumping his fingers in and out of her as he worked her swollen bud. Adam, she sighed, this is better, better than I imagined. Blood pounded in his veins. Had she fantasized about him? Had she touched herself thinking about him? That erotic mental image was so powerful. 
he had to reach down and free his cock from his trousers. His fingers clenched around it, stroking himself as he sucked and licked at Cora's clit. God, yes. Her hips bucked. She gasped again and tried to say something, but the words were choked off beneath her groan of need. Adam flicked, teased, sucked, moved his fingers in and out of her in the same rapid rhythm he was using to pleasure himself. Cora broke with a cry, trembling beneath him in a magnificent orgasm. Adam slowly pulled away, sitting up to observe the aftermath of her climax. Her skin was flushed a glorious pink with soft, with the soft mounds of her, and the soft mounds of her breasts rose and fell with each deep breath. Her eyes were alight with pleasure, and a small, dreamy smile curved her rosy lips. Whew! So, <laughs> I should say we were at mid-coitus when I jumped in there. Yep. Um, what I kind of really loved about this piece because I thought it was very unusual in this bit to have him masturbate while giving her oral sex because I don't think we see that very often um sometimes we see the heroine masturbate but even not that much but we definitely never see the hero masturbate um if we do there's like a start to it but then the sex finishes it off Mm -hmm. and and that's not what happened here um they actually don't at least in the scene that you gave me, they don't have penetrative sex at this moment. Um, And so I thought that, I don't know, I I just was like, wow, this is really unusual. Um, You don't read that this often. And I thought that this was a really great um, moment and still absolutely sexy as hell. Yeah, I like, I like the hero masturbating scenes because I like getting in his head and in his like, I am so into her. I just, I, it's my fantasy. I like the idea that she has become his fantasy. And so that when he does like go stroking himself, she is what he's going to be thinking about. And I like that idea. Uh, and so that's why I like, well, I wanted to write that into the mm-hmm. scene. Cause I wanted him to be like living out his fantasy sort of in a very concrete way. Like right. instead of, He's lying around in a bed by himself having these fantasies. Now he's sort of performing the same physical task, but at the same time, it's more real. Now he's here, he's with her, he's experiencing with her, and it's just all the more uh, sort of extreme for him. It's like even more pleasurable for him. How come you didn't have them have penetrative sex here? Um... Partly it was because it's halfway through the book and I wanted to save um, a particular sex act for another scene. I like okay. I like breaking it up. Like if they're going to do this one here, we'll do it in this scene and then I'll, they'll have a different, you know, do a different kind of sexy thing in the next scene. Um, and so I wanted to break it up a little bit. Um, also, because this is an Olympics book, this is kind of a weird a quirk of this book because it's an Olympics book. I wanted to make references to the Olympic condoms that the modern athletes get handed out. Um, oh, okay. So it's the 1904 Olympics. They weren't handing the, the athletes condoms. Um, <laughs> there was the Comstock laws. You couldn't even buy a condom at the drugstore. You had to like jump through hoops and buy it sneakily. Um, but I wanted to include that. And so later on in the book, she sees some of the male athletes like chatting with each other and like sharing condoms. Like one of the guys is like, here, you should, you know, you should take one of these because it's, it's a great way to relax before your event. And then, um, 
And so then the heroine like sneaks a condom from this guy who's passing them out. And then that's their way of being able to have safe sex once they do get to the penetrative sex. Um, And so that I was sort of saving that aspect of the book for later. Okay. Um, So I had to wait until she got the condom and I wanted to have some sexy times before that. (laughs) That's great. I'm curious. Did you get any pushback um, about the whole condom thing? Because it is. Okay. All right. Just because it it is like out of period quote, you know what I mean? Like that, that, that probably wouldn't have happened, but who cares? Right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it would be, I mean, it would not be super strange for like the men to be like secretly talking to each other and being like, Hey, you you know, you want to go hang out and find a girl later? Um, But yeah, but it was a little bit, I did push the boundary a little bit with having someone actually being like, I'm going to hand out condoms to all my buddies. Um, (laughs) But again, that was, it was a nod to the Olympic athletes and the whole debate of, oh no, do I need to uh, abstain from sex before my event so that I'm physically fit? Or the other side of the coin is like, is this a great way to get all my emotions and aggressions and everything about so I'm just ready to go and nothing else is going to distract me from my event? Um, so I wanted to kind of play with that athlete expe- aspect. I'm a big sports fan, so this is my, my, one, of my, one of my sports books. I like to put sports in my historicals. Oh, that's really fun. I had no idea. Because in this one, Cora's an archer. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. There there was the only women's event in the 1904 Olympics was the archery. And so I was like, I'm going to make her an archer and she's going to compete in the Olympics. And I think that's kind of cool, though. I love that she is an archer. There was something about that that I thought was really kind of neat. You know, like more interesting than a swimmer or a long jumper. I was like, okay, she's an archer. She can handle a bow and arrow. She can handle a weapon. Yep. Yeah, yep. there's something she really does, cool about that. She does say in the book when when um, one of the more villainous characters is kind of harassing her, she's like, I know how to handle a deadly weapon. Like, <laughs> don't necessarily want to mess with me. <laughs> this is so cool um okay this has been great i absolutely loved this scene and i thought it was so super sexy thank you i really like it it's one of my favorites so what do you have coming up next what's next for you um my next book will be in this same steampunk series the same one as in a shot to the heart um and it'll be out this summer i'm working on the final edits to it right now um it's called dead dukes tell no tales oh i love it (laughs) and it is my duke and pirate book the hero is an american who has inherited a dukedom unexpectedly because he is the very very distant heir um and the hero is a an airship pirate um and she's searching for a treasure so they basically go on a big treasure hunt Oh, that's great. It kind of sounds also a little fish out of water if it's somebody who's like an American yes. that gets inherit inherits some sort of like dukedom and they're like, what the mm-hmm. hell is this? And yeah. <laughs> they're, they're both a little bit kind of outside of society and the people around them are kind of like pushing at them to like, well, you know, you're supposed to do this and you're supposed to do that. And they're like, but that doesn't really fit us and our personality. So they're kind of trying to work within the system and like how can they still be themselves and kind of adapt to the world around them 
And you also just had a recent release too, Love at I Second did. Sight. Yes, that um, is the last book in my Potions and Passions series. That's the Magic Potions world. Got it. Um, that book is an amnesia book. Um, <laughs> amnesia is one of my like favorite quirky tropes. I, I love amnesia and soap, so I'm right yes. there with you. <laughs> I always I wanted to write an amnesia book. Um, and because I had this magic potions world, I could do basically whatever I wanted with amnesia. I didn't have to have somebody get clonked over the head. I That's could just, excellent. I could just have them ingest a potion. And so what has happened is both the hero and the heroine um, have lost their memories. They are a married couple, but now they don't remember each other because oh. they've been poisoned with this memory loss potion. And so they have to sort of solve the mystery and figure out who they are and what is why are they pulled towards each other. It gets a little bit of a faded mates vibe because they really feel like connection to each other, but are like, why am I so interested in this person? Oh my gosh. Wow. This is awesome. I'm excited about this series. I'm really looking forward to picking that one up. So very cool. How many books do you write a year? I mean, you've got, you seem, you're super um, prolific. I go three to four books a year. Okay. That's what I've done so far. Okay. That's, um, that's amazing. Wow. Kat, thank you so much for doing this with me. Um, this was awesome. Thanks for having me. It oh my God. My pleasure. Yay. Yay. <laughs> oh, um, I almost forgot. Where can readers find you? Um, I am all over social media at Kat Stein books, C-A-T-S-T-E-I-N books. Um, and I am on Pinterest, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and now TikTok. I'm just starting to learn TikTok. Oh, me too. So I am on all of those things, at, and it's Cat Stein Books. My website is www.catsteinbooks.com, um, and that has all of my books listed. Um, it's got some excerpts from the books. You can figure out what series is what. It tells. Um, it has content warnings if anybody needs those. Uh, and that it also has links to find my social media and to find my books for purchase wherever you need them. And I will have links to those um, places in the show notes. I'm curious, how's TikTok going for you? It's been fun so far. I've only been doing it for not quite a week now. Oh, wow. Okay. But I'm enjoying it. It's How fun. many have you put up there? Uh, my first one was like just an intro to me. So I was wearing one of my costumes and I'm like, this is me. And I like tea and steampunk and I write books and I read books. Um, so that's what I've done. And so far I've done one about sort of my writing brain. And I did one where I shared some of my tea and some of my hats. Um, so that's kind of what I'm going to be doing. I'll like, I'll have oh, me with crazy. my costumes. I will have me with my books um, and then writing stuff, whatever I think of. What a super fun idea. Cause I just went on TikTok and I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I did like my only post on there is Gen X discovers TikTok for the first time. And it's like, <laughs> what the fuck is going on? Yeah, um, <laughs> that's kind of how I felt when I first so, got on because I, uh, so I, I, for about a week, I just like had the app and was like looking at it every now and seeing what some other people were doing. Like, okay, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> when I first opened it up, it was like, oh, there's just constant video. <laughs> okay, how do I find anything? And it was just sort of this kind of navigating a completely new social media space. Yeah. Um, but once I figured out how to make the videos, which it's my first video took me a really long time. But now that I figured it out, I sort of 
have like, okay, this is how it works. Are you doing it in app? Are you doing, because this is the one thing that I'm trying to figure out. Am I supposed to be doing it in app or can I edit it outside of the app and then upload it? You can edit outside the app and upload it. There are like um, some programs and websites, I think that where you can do the editing kind of stuff. Um, right. Or presumably if you are a video editing type of person and you have software, you can presumably do that. I've done in mine all in app because you've done okay. that's the easiest way for me. Right. Right. Okay. Because I was just kind of like going, am I supposed to be doing this? Like, because it just, because I can do a video editing. I'm not great at it, but I can do it, you know? So right. it was a little bit weird to actually like do it in app and try and actually, it was actually a little bit hard for me to figure out how to do it in app, like what was going on. Yeah. The first time I was, I was like, wait, what do I do? What yeah. Step? How do I pick what part of the clip I want? And I yeah. figured out all those things, then it went pretty smooth. Okay. Cause I was like, wait, I know how to use video editing software. I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> I'm going to go stalk you. Cause I have no idea what to do. And I might copycat some of your things. <laughs> I don't have costumes and hats and tea, but I like the idea of this is who I am. This is what I do. Here's some mm-hmm. of my stuff. I like the idea of that because that sort of seems like a nice slow intro as opposed to doing like the weird TikTok dances, which, yeah. Yeah. No. Well, and yeah. there's a lot of people, a lot of authors starting to do book talk um, and like talking about their writing process and showing off their books and, hey, this is what I read this weekend or whatever. And so I think I, you can yeah. find a lot of things in the in the book talk. I, I think for me, I always feel so awkward. Like, who's going to want to hear about my process? Like, right. <laughs> I, you, do you know what I mean? Like, people oh my god, must, because a lot of people have it out there, so somebody's watching it. I guess so, because I'm like, who, like I'm like, who's going to like? I sit down and I. That's not very interesting watching me type away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not interesting at all um but I, I should spend more time on book talk right now I'm, I'm into gay talk I love gay tech talk that's like where my heart is <laughs> I can't get enough of that <laughs> so Kat thank you so much for for doing this it was a real pleasure to have you thanks so much I hope you enjoyed the episode sign up to get email alerts when a new one goes live at lgreco.rocks And don't forget to five-star us on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you next time.